Welcome to Vertical Insights, a podcast series brought to you by CA Ventures, bringing you an in-depth look at the commercial real estate industry through the lens of CA's resident subject matter experts. I'm Robert Maddock. And I'm Megan Nam, And this is Vertical Insights. All right, we're back for episode three. Robert, how are you? You know, in the words of one of my past clients who I used to call every morning when it was gloomy outside, if I was any better, I'd be triplets. So Meg, <laughs> how are you? Oh gosh, I don't I don't have an anecdote like that. I'm just good. Got my coffee. We're filming our podcast. I'm very excited about this episode. What do we have on the agenda today? We had with us one Michael Podboy, who is the president of CA Industrial. It's a very, uh, very riveting conversation and interesting. You know, I've been really excited about this because industrial is such a mystery to me because my background is in the the living businesses, student and residential. Um, and, and industrial is something that everybody can relate to because we all shop online, um, especially over the past nine months, but it's really complicated. You relate to it, but you don't really know that it's there, right? It's that mystery piece of the equation from a, uh, a seller getting you something all the way, you know, to actually it arriving at your door. Absolutely. So. And we're also spoiled now. Things, you know, you order something on Amazon and it says, two days instead of one and you're disappointed. And so I think Michael did a great job during the episode of really explaining that kind of soup to nuts, what happens behind the the scenes in the industrial world. I was shocked there was so much more to it than just four walls, a roof and some dirt, um, you know, really helped uh, highlight our expansion of the beds, meds and sheds strategy that a few people around the office like to use here. Um, but it was certainly interesting to hear kind of where he has taken the team and, and, and reinforced his strategy um, with CA Industrial, the markets that he's been working in and the, and the markets that he's going to. And even to that point, the difference in the capital markets a little bit and how, how structures are being done on the industrial side of the business relative to uh, some of our other verticals. Yeah. And the opportunity that exists ahead, I think, you know, not a day goes by that we don't see the, the term e-commerce in a headline. Um, and so clearly there's just this opportunity out there in the market and a trajectory that our CA industrial team is on that's really exciting to watch and to hear about. I think the proper word is huge, Megan. Huge. <laughs> huge. Well, with that, let's take our listeners to the episode. And for our next guest, we have with us Michael Potboy. Michael, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. You know, we're really excited about this episode because industrial is a really hot topic and I feel like you could provide a lot of insight into what's going on in the sector right now. Why don't you start us off with your background and how you came to CA? Yeah, I recently joined CA uh, in September of 2019, having previously been with a company called Inventrust Properties. Inventrust was at its peak, a $13 billion diversified REIT. Uh, had multiple asset classes, including industrial, and I uh, served effectively as the president of the organization, uh, having been there for about 12 years. In my former capacity, we had uh, a number of student housing holdings, and so uh, had the fortune of meeting Tom a couple times and uh, seeing what he was uh, trying to build in this organization. And so having uh, left InventTrust, you know, my goal was to join an organization um, that was uh, dynamic, 
uh, growth orientated and had a had a vision for where it wanted to go. And so for me, you know, joining CA and partnering with Tom Scott was was the perfect recipe. And uh, having the chance to uh, grow the industrial platform was even more special because of the some of the things we're going to talk about, you know, that are happening on a macro scale. So when you joined CA, the industrial division was already in place, correct? That's correct. And what was compelling about that sector in specific? Because that's not your background, correct? I have some industrial background, actually. Uh, you know, in my old capacity, we were uh, a large owner of an industrial platform called Cobalt, and uh, we were the largest shareholder. I actually sat on the board, and we we sold Cobalt to a private equity firm called Colony that uh, just recently sold it to a company called Blackstone. So, um, had quite a bit of industrial experience actually, and uh, even before coming here. Um, I, I had, uh, pursuant to my former employment agreement, I, I had to take six months off of work, but I was able to consult with a company called Sealy Industrial and I act as their, acted as their strategic advisor and we sold one of their portfolios to a private equity firm called DRA. Yeah, fantastic. Well, Michael, now that you've been here for a little over a year, what has been your primary focus? You know, that we already had the industrial platform set up. What were you focused on once you joined? The goal coming in was to, uh, you know, really supercharge the business. And what I mean by that is uh, continuing to enhance the people, focus on the processes, uh, scale the capital. And so uh, initially when I got here, you know, we initially set about uh, hiring some additional folks as we were, were focused mostly on the Midwest when I showed up. And so since that point, we were able to hire two individuals, one in the Southeast and one covering Texas and the mountain states. And uh, those two individuals are uh, Steve Rowley in the Southeast and Joe Trinkle in the Texas and mountain states. They are former uh uh, Liberty Property Trust employees, and uh, had have been focused on industrial for somewhere between twenty and thirty years uh, each, and so uh, it was real opportunity for us to continue to grow and scale our business. So, Michael, I find that really interesting because if you look at a lot of the other divisions here at CA, right, a lot of people are sitting all in the same offices. You're building a team that's kind of spread out around the country. What's the reason behind that? Well, there's nothing like a uh, local market presence. And so we want to have boots on the ground in these uh, key strategic regions. And with that, you know, we think we're going to be in a better position to identify opportunities, uh, be close to market, closer to market participants, and, you know, in turn, you know, be, be able to grow and scale our business faster. It's got to be great in an environment like right now for COVID when you can't really travel and everybody's kind of locked up either in their homes or potentially their offices and you got people out in their own home markets definitely a, an advantage. And so, you know, uh, that coupled with us, you know, having reoccurring meetings on a weekly basis, you know, it allows us to get uh, more on the boots uh, intelligence in terms of what's happening and, and how do we respond to that. So was the hiring strategy driven by our market strategy or is this all about finding the right people in those specific markets and we've identified top markets and we're just kind of, again, waiting for the right talent? Well, if you take a step back, you, you you know, in the industrial marketplace, about 50 to 60% of the, the marketplace is comprised of uh, five uh, markets, Chicago, LA, Dallas, Atlanta, and uh, the New York region of northern New Jersey and, and eastern Pennsylvania. Um, and so those those five markets are the, the, the five primary markets. And so that coupled with uh, our focus of trying to be 
uh, in and around the high job and population markets such as Charlotte, Denver, Phoenix, you know, uh, Meta set out up to a regional strategy. And so that then propelled us to say, how do we find the best people within those markets to help us drive our business plan? So let's talk about the actual products. This is something I'm super interested in because my background's in the living businesses. So industrial was pretty new to me. What products are we focusing on? Where do we play within the industrial space? Because it's a pretty broad term. That's a great question because sometimes people think of industrial and they think of factories. And that's not the case here. Yeah, we're not building factories. We're not building factories. <laughs> not yet, at least. So what we like to... Uh, say is we are in the multi-tenant light industrial business. And these are facilities that typically house uh, logistics needs, um, e-commerce needs, um, service needs, and, and maybe some light assembly type needs. Um, and so that's the that's the, the space that we're playing in. Can you give us an example of a, a tenant that we would work with that would fit that bill? Of course. You're, you're all very familiar with this tenant. It's Amazon. And so Amazon's the, the 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 poster child right now of you know e-commerce and logistics. Uh, other tenants that you might think of are uh, Walmart or Home Depot, Lowe's. You know, people that might be in the the building materials business, in the automotive business. So there's there's a quite uh, diversified tenant base for industrial multi-tenant industrial use. And is this last mile? We hear that term a lot in industrial. Is that the type of product that we're building and who we're catering to? A component of it is, yeah. So, you know, um, you know, last mile is uh, a buzzy, you know, catch word right now. And so, you know, that means different things for different people. Uh, other people use the word last touch. And so uh, last mile doesn't need to be um, immediately adjacent to the, the city center. You know, it could be within um, a 30 or 45 minute drive of uh, the city center. And so, uh, but generally, yes, we, we are we, we have a focus of what I like to refer to as bigger and deeper. And what I mean by that is, you know, deeper into the urban core, which tends to lend itself to some smaller product. And, and for us, smaller is 150,000 square feet to 250,000 square feet product. And bigger is uh, the heart of the, the e-commerce logistics market, somewhere between uh, four and 800,000 square feet, depending on the product type and the market that you're looking at. And so we have a barbelled approach in terms of our our, our strategy related to uh, product and uh, markets. Michael, that's fantastic. So, you know, I know when I'm traveling around, I see industrial warehouses all over the place. Can you talk to me a little bit about the opportunity set you're working with here? And is there more room for growth in the industrial space? That's a great question, Rob. You start with the industry is generally at equilibrium right now, unlike some of the other asset classes like retail, for example, where uh, it's widely known that we are overbuilt in America. Industrial uh, sits at equilibrium. Buttressing that is we, we have some uh, what I like to refer to as secular forces, um, and these are positive forces at play. Um, those being the, the the growth of e-commerce, which we all are uh, experiencing in our daily lives right now. Um, and so that recently jumped up from about 15% to 20%. Um, as a order of magnitude, and if you say, how where, where do you think this is going? If you look at China right now, they're about 30% uh, e-commerce. And so we think somewhere between that 30 to 40% e-commerce is, is where things are going to settle out. And so um, you know, that could be another 10 plus years of robust growth for the industrial sector here in the U.S. All within those same markets that we talked about earlier? Yes, it's going to be in those same markets that we talked about. You know, there could be accelerated growth in selected markets uh, for some other reasons that we're going to talk about. So not only is e-commerce uh, 
driving industrial demand, but we've all seen the effects of a elongated supply chain. And so what I mean by that is for the longest time, you know, people were trying to maximize their supply chains, stretch it out farther and farther. And so things would be manufactured in, uh, you know, East Asia, they were transported to America. And we've recently seen the fragility of that supply chain where we couldn't get products during the pandemic. And so what is also happening right now is people are examining their supply chain and thinking about redundancies. Some people are calling this the China plus one strategy. Um, and so they're saying we're, we're still going to manufacture in China or East Asia uh, as what we had done previously. But how do we diversify that that manufacturing base where we have a second or third? So to the extent that um, there's a major disruption in the supply chain, like, like another pandemic, or if there's increased hostility with, with regards to China as a country, that we have diversity of supply chains. And so that as well is going to add incremental demand uh, for warehouses. It's estimated that that could be another uh, billion square feet of additional need for an, an industrial space just for that issue alone. That's fantastic. Well, you know, I think also find it to be a little interesting, right? As we look at some of our other verticals, whether it's student focused on tier one universities or the residential team focused on your top 10 to 15 MSAs, I don't want to yet dive into your pipeline because I know it's exciting. So we can get there in a second. But if we look at kind of your three current projects, right? They're in areas I maybe wouldn't have expected, right? Northern Kentucky and Cincinnati, Indianapolis, Chicago O'Hare. Obviously, you hit on Chicago. Um, being a major market in the industrial space, but can you give some background behind why Cincinnati and why Indianapolis for markets that your team's looking at? That's a great question. So when you think about the supply chain and you think about where where does real estate fit into that, labor and transportation account for somewhere between 50 and 60% of the cost of the supply chain. Real estate is somewhere between 10 and, and uh, t- 10, 5 and 10% of the cost. So it's a fairly small component of the, the supply chain. And so if you come back and say labor and transportation being the primary concerns, you know, we, we are constantly focused on that in terms of our underwriting. And so when you look at our three current projects, they all have uh, things in common. Uh, our, our project next to O'Hare is located, obviously, next to one of the busiest airports uh, here in the U.S. and in the world. We have a, our Indianapolis project is adjacent to the Indianapolis airport that is actually this the second biggest air freight cargo for FedEx. So outside of Memphis, Indianapolis is their second biggest air freight. And so there is a lot of users that want to be uh, near that air freight cargo. Besides the that, the proximity to um, um, and access to uh, major population centers within a day's drive, Indianapolis, as well as Chicago, offer that. And Cincinnati has a lot of the same uh, factors. It's actually going to be adjacent to the 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 to be constructed uh, worldwide air freight headquarters for Amazon. And so they have uh, effectively taken over all the excess land at the Cincinnati Northern Kentucky Airport, and they're building their version of uh, a, a FedEx-like facility that's in Memphis, but in in Northern Kentucky Cincinnati Airport. And so for those reasons, you know, th- there's a lot of users that want to be next to that Amazon facility, but Cincinnati also offers a lot of proximity to major population centers in this country. And so um, at, just as a proxy, if you think about all the, the major air freight operations in this country, they all kind of sit within a triangle. We talked about Indianapolis and FedEx. Everyone knows uh, FedEx in Memphis. UPS is, is based in Louisville. 
And you know, DHL has historically operated out of um, you know uh, the, the Columbus area, um, and so you know, and that's that's all for a reason because that's generally within a two-hour flight of uh, the the biggest population base in North America, not just the U.S. but Canada and Mexico. And so, you know, being in that strategic uh, that triangle, as I like to call it, is important from a logistics um, warehousing distribution perspective. So we touched on COVID earlier. Obviously, e-commerce has been a huge topic in the headlines these days as a result of COVID. Has COVID and its impacts on industrial logistics changed anything for your market strategy or just reiterated it? I think it's enforced it, but it's also um, probably pulled forward demand by a couple of years. And so um, not historically, the the e-commerce and logistics um, impact were more greatly felt in the bigger cities. And so if you if you look at Amazon as a proxy, they had initially focused on the top MSAs because that's where most of the people were in, in a you know most of where their target audience is. But now they they are they're migrating towards uh, smaller cities, you know, Indianapolis, Madison, Wisconsin, that has all gotten pulled forward. And so for us, you know, e-commerce now with COVID happening, you know, the, that adoption rate of people uh, being comfortable using e-commerce, not just for electronics and books and clothes, but really now um, the for uh, e-grocery. And so people feeling much more comfortable ordering groceries online and getting them delivered to the house. And so I think when we look for toilet at, paper, right? For toilet paper. If you can get your hands on it. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. And so I think you're going to look back five years from now and, and, and say this, that this was the inflection point for e-grocery. And so that will continue to put more demand uh, in the system for warehouses and logistics. So, Michael, as I've been listening and following a lot of Wall Street analysts recently leading up into the holiday season, um, whether it's due to supply chain issues, they're talking about a slowdown in terms of delivery and and potentially not getting your holiday gifts on time. Um, Does that reinforce your opportunity here or and kind of how are you thinking about that in a COVID environment when people are shipping more? Um, You know, any, any explanation you can give there? Yeah, it really reinforces. And so, you know, you're seeing companies playing in some part catch up right now. And so because companies are coming out like UPS and FedEx and saying, you know, we we might have some delays, it's because they don't have the infrastructure that's needed. And so um, come back to our original themes of, you know, everyone wants their goods and products now uh, within a day or two. So, you know, what Amazon has done is weaponized uh, time of delivery. And so everyone is expecting that in a day or two. And so to do that, um, everyone is having to configure their supply chains with additional warehouses to be able to to satisfy that. And so, um, you know, so COVID has put a real big spotlight on that. And now with anticipated greater demand around shipping around the holiday season, you're seeing these companies, you know, preemptively, you know, setting expectations that it, it might not be within a day or two. And so it's going to continue to enforce uh, the, those positive secular trends that we talked about where companies continue to expand their their footprint around uh, multi-tenant, you know, industrial warehouses. And what kind of features do these buildings need to be ready to move for the future and what these companies are looking for? You know, I mean, I, I'm sure it's not just four walls, a roof and some dirt that you guys are functioning with. That's a great question. So the things that are important, um, and this is going to sound very elementary, but, you know, a really flat floor, 
Um, and so that, that has a big difference. So if you're a fork drift li- driver in these facilities and you got to go over a lot of bumps, that tends to uh, have things fall off your pallet. For, for the common person who doesn't do that, you know, that might sound um, rudimentary, but that's very important because that slows down efficiency in the warehouse. The other thing that's very important is ceiling height. So you're seeing these warehouse buildings become taller. And so what that's allowing them to do is uh, rack product higher within the warehouses. The other things that are important for um, extra uh, trailer storage space. And so with e-commerce being a bigger part of it, um, the tenants want more space to store their trailers and not just trailers, but also uh, delivery vans. So we're all accustomed to those Amazon delivery vans uh, going around. And so they all need a place for those to park and not just Amazon, but um, users like Lowe's and uh, Home Depot or other great, um, you know, uh, users that need a lot of extra parking spots. So, you know, floors, rack height, parking. And, And the final thing is, is, you know, companies are a lot more focused on the aesthetics and the experience within these warehouses. We've all probably been in these dark and dingy warehouses before that are poorly lit. And so, you know, as the need for labor grows within these, you know, the, the arms race to compete for that is, is growing. And so that's translating into people thinking about, you know, lighting, um, like I said, aesthetics of the building, um, uh, you know, what's the air quality like in the building? How long, how long does it take to circulate that right now? And so those are all features that, you know, end users are thinking about as well. So what about from a technology standpoint, you know, in our living businesses, property technology is huge. Um, To what extent can we integrate technology into our industrial facilities? I think there's always technology that's going into the buildings, whether that's uh, lighting, um, HVAC uses, but we also are using technology in terms of thinking about site selection. So how can we use, um, uh, you know, artificial intelligence and big data to look at where the current supply chain is, whether it's all the existing FedEx and Amazon facilities or UPS facilities, and and be anticipatory as to where they need to go. Um, There's elements of uh, other businesses, such as the grocery business, where they they use gravity models to determine where incremental grocery stores need to go based on demand and buying patterns. And so we're, we're partnering with groups like Amazon Web Services to use big data to figure out where we would put uh, future warehouse facilities such that we can talk to tenants about why they would want to go to that specific spot versus another specific spot. Michael, so it, it's obviously been an, a difficult year. I don't want to keep diving into COVID, um, but you're one of the interesting verticals who's been seeing a lot of success and has a lot of noise surrounding your platform. Um, can you talk to me a little bit about the capital markets and what our future capital partners are saying and looking for right now? Yeah, great question, Rob. So there, there are some pent up uh, issues that had been exposed uh, with the onset of COVID. And one of those is a, a lot of institutional capital was uh, more heavily weighted towards office and retail. And so with, with COVID happening, their overweight has gotten even more of attention. And so that has put more pressure on them to allocate more dollars to what I'd like to refer to as beds, sheds, and meds. And so uh, beds being, you know, uh, student housing, multifamily, sheds being industrial, and meds being medical office. And so a component of that is industrial. And so industrial um, allocations have gone up. In in turn, the demand for industrial, whether it's development or acquisitions, has gone up as well. As people think about their portfolios, 
and and try to right size them to the economy that we are in now and the economy that we're likely to have, you know, coming out of this pandemic. Sounds like a great time to be in the industrial space. Do you see a lot of other people entering the market right now because this is the opportunity is so blatant? Yes, there, there's a lot of new entrants into the market, but I think one of the th- things that uh, differentiates uh, CA is that it's it has a great reputation and has already been very active in the development space. And so some of the things that we CA has been doing for years, it naturally translates into uh, the industrial space in terms of sourcing opportunities, having a great reputation, and having a stable base of capital partners that want wants to do business with CA. Is the capital stack very similar to your typical multifamily or student deal, or is there anything unique that you're seeing, um, I guess, from a structuring standpoint with your capital partners in industrial? There's a lot of similarities um, to the other verticals. Some of the things that may be a little bit unique that are going on right now is what's referred to as uh, forward purchase commitments. And so unlike uh, maybe some of the other verticals that have to take the land down, develop, uh, the project, lease it up and then sell it. Industrial is, is able to sell their property right now uh, at certificate of occupancy. And so you don't even have to lease the building. And you know, as a developer, you're, you're making uh, good money by just building the building and having end users come in and buy those right away. So it takes that leasing risk off the table and it accelerates the, the, the cradle to grave cycle uh, between you know, start and finish uh, for CA. What about acquisitions? We've seen a lot of headlines in the past couple of weeks about some of these, you know, big asset managers buying up industrial portfolios. Is that something that CA is interested in or plans to do in the future? That's a good question. You know, some of those are great representations of that trend that I just talked about, them being underweighted industrial. And so if they can get a hold of a, a, a high quality portfolio, they're going to do that. The The flip side of that is we are at record pricing right now. And so that doesn't afford a lot of margin of error. And so from a risk adjusted perspective, CA sees a lot more opportunity in the development track. That doesn't mean that CA is not going to be in the acquisitions business, but for the immediate for future, you know, development seems like a better risk adjusted basis. So on our first episode, we started a tradition, which was very short lived, um, where we asked our guests what where they saw themselves in, in 12 to 18 months from now. Um, after interviewing Michael Hales last week about student and and seeing how quickly things were moving and, and how much opportunity was on the horizon, Rob quickly, changed the, <laughs> he quickly changed the trajectory. Uh, and now we're looking at a five-year outlook and it sounds like industrial um, and your vertical is better suited for that horizon as well, given everything that's going on and the opportunities that have been prompted by COVID or reinforced by COVID. So talk to us about where you see yourself, your division and the market five years from now. A great question. I see uh, CA Industrial, um, you know, operating on a national basis, focusing on both development and acquisitions in that uh, multi-tenant, you know, light industrial uh, segment we talked about. I also see us having, you know, been successful with numerous uh, developments, and we have a stable of, you know, uh, billions of capital under management, and you know, uh, not only doing existing development, as I talked about, but also uh, acquiring. I also see us continuing to diversify and and thinking about the cold storage space, as well as being more active in the development of uh, data centers. So stay tuned. I think the next five years is going to be very exciting. Um, And, you know, I'm uh, excited to come back here five years from now and, and report on our progress. 
Oh, we'll have you on before that, but I we'll, also we'll, hope we'll definitely fact check you. <laughs> I'm also hoping that within the next five years, maybe potentially five months, we have some t-shirts with beds, meds, and sheds on them as well yeah. around the office. And, and, and Podboy podcast on the back. I love it. <laughs> no, we're going to have a spinoff for the Podboy podcast. It's about beds, sheds, and meds. <laughs> <laughs> That's the slogan. Michael, I love it. <laughs> thank you very much for your time and joining us today. Thanks for hosting.